On the Table, Current and Critical Information for Massage Therapists in Practice, a podcast presented by Massage Therapy Canada. Hello, everyone, and welcome to On the Table. This is Janine Belbeck, and I'm the editor of Massage Therapy Canada. Massage Therapy Canada is the nation's independent publication of record produced exclusively for massage therapists. I'd like to acknowledge today's sponsor, Masago. Masago is an RMT-first company offering greater independence, higher pay, and a safe experience. Using the Masago app on their smartphone, clients can get a massage in the comfort of their home or office. Proudly Canadian, Masago manages all aspects of the client relationship, as well as marketing to ensure they continue to be the RMT app of choice. RMTs can feel safe knowing that Masago clients are carefully vetted. If clients don't pass a strict ID verification process, they can't book an appointment. Masago pays their RMTs 80% commission on each appointment, and it can be a great supplement to clinical hours. Visit masago.ca slash RMT for more info. Our subject today is public perception and media relations. I'm joined today by Don Dillon, RMT and author of Charting Skills for Massage Therapists. Don is also a regular contributor to Massage Therapy Canada. Thanks for being with us here today, Don. Janet, thanks very much for making me a part of this. I'm really excited to talk about this subject and especially with the guest that we have today. Uh, let's provide a little bit of context for our listeners before we get to bring on our guest. Increasingly, It appears when massage therapists appear in news, it's often bad news. Uh, Search any news media website for massage, and you're usually met with headlines claiming insurance fraud, professional misconduct, or association with the sex trade. In a 2017 op-ed in Massage Therapy Canada, I presented my concerns for not just the frequency of media reporting of massage therapist allegations, but also the style of coverage. The news media regularly uses stark and threatening images such as squad cars and police badges in what appears to be sensationalist journalism. In almost all the cases, the media provided very few details of the evidence of the allegations. Uh, Yes, and in in Ontario, where massage therapy is regulated, uh, media coverage rarely acknowledges massage therapy as a regulated health profession nor does the media typically reference the mechanisms in place for complaints and discipline. Um, So, while I do have to agree with you, Don, that much of the the coverage is sensationalistic, uh, and yes, there is very little evidence that's provided in those news reports. Uh, In general, those reporters are doing their due diligence, and all they know is very little. They know the charge. They know there's an investigation ongoing. Um, but with that being said, there's often little to no follow-up stories. So what happens is you have these news reports all sitting on one side of the scale, if you will, uh, massage therapists, charged, sexual assault, uh, but there's no coverage of, of acquittals or dismissals when they happen. Um, this also gets a bit tricky in provinces that are not yet regulated when, when you have people calling themselves massage therapists without proper knowledge or training, uh, which further hurts the profession in Canada. Although with that being said, and another news story here in Ontario, there was a gymnast that told the trial that her uh, gymnastics coach had occasionally touched her inappropriately when he provided her with sports massage. The coach, Brew Baker, is not a registered massage therapist. 
So we even have this happening in Ontario as well. Um, in cases like this, public perception um, is to link massage therapy to sexual tension, which of course does not bode well for the profession. Um, this kind of media, sensationalist media, is of course damaging to both the registered massage therapist who faces these allegations that, again, may end up being proven untrue, um, but it also affects the businesses that they're employed at. Um, the, the reason why we're discussing this today is, of course, because massage therapists need to understand public and media relations and how to work effectively with it. I agree, Janet, and we're very fortunate to have our guest today who is an expert on this subject. Her name is Margaret Wallace Duffy. She is a massage therapist and a veteran of public and media relations. She is well known as the creator, CEO, and host of WOW New Media's integrative health documentary, which include interactive and educational shows committed to empowering viewers through providing evidence-based strategies to help them live well holistically. Margaret, welcome to our show. Well, thank you, Don, and thanks for the kind introduction. It is absolute pleasure to be here on this awesome podcast uh, today. Well, thank you, Margaret, and let's get right into our question. So many massage therapists probably think of public and media relations as something that uh, perhaps the professional association does on their behalf, um, but they may not quite understand what it is. Can you tell us what the purpose of public and media relations is at the local uh, frontline level for a massage therapist? Well, that's a great question, and I think, you know, to start the discussion, it's really important that people understand the difference, and, and a lot of times these terms get linked to, and lumped in together, and that's actually not the case. So you know, public relations is the way an organization or a clinic, for example, and individuals can communicate with the public and media, and, you know, in terms of media relations, it's an aspect or an arm of public relations. The terms are not interchangeable as media relation focuses solely on the relationship between a company and the media. Um, and they use different media outlets to tell their story and to um, create engaging um, opportunities to educate the public and other stakeholders. Now at a local level, and I think as a massage therapist with 27 years of experience, Early in my career, I, I quite candidly didn't have the money to, to pay media outlets and to get my word out even just to market. So I had to find unique ways to build trust. And I think that's one of the best things that public relations, if it's done well, can do. It's to build trust in the community of which you're serving, both the public, the people that you're going to treat, as well as potential doctors that you want to refer to your clinic as, as you build a thriving practice. And the ways you can do that it don't have to cost a lot of money. It costs some creativity and some effort. But to be out there doing things at a local level, to let the people in your community know that you're there, to let them understand the value that you can bring to help improve the health for them and their families, and then to also bring the value proposition to those doctors, um, which, you know, this is why I love the fact that we're doing this podcast, because it's not just about building public relations for you as the clinician or the clinic owner, but also for our profession at large. It is critical that we work together um, in the trenches, uh, you know, on a therapist by therapist basis to build our credibility through having good public relations and connecting with the public in a wide range of creative ways so that we can improve uh, the, the way that people look at our profession and therefore we can be where I believe we should be at the center of the integrative healthcare model. 
Fantastic, Margaret. Thank you. Now, you had mentioned building relationships with doctors a few times and building referrals, but I imagine uh, just because some of our listeners be, may be working in different sectors of the massage therapy field, I imagine you would extend that recommendation. If I was doing chair massage at the corporate level, for example, you would be building relationships with uh, companies and other key individuals that could connect us to more business. Am I correct? 100%, and, and thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. It does not matter the the place in which you work or the, the atmosphere that you're working in. It is about building trust and relationships um, with those end users. So uh, yeah, in, in, in my case, for example, I do all of those things. So we do a lot of corporate work. Um, and, and therefore, it's critical that I build relationships, not just with doctors and the public, but with the companies that I might be serving inside the walls of. So you're absolutely right. All of what we're going to talk about today can be applied in whatever way that you see fit for your business and for your your desires and goals, but I also want to encourage our listeners to really think about how that plays into the impact it's going to have on our profession as a whole, because, you know, Janin spoke very candidly about, you know, being a, a journalist and how we're sometimes seen in the media. Well, I'm going to be play a little bit of, I may not be liked for this, but I think sometimes as massage therapists, we feed that sensationalism by the way we act and react. And therefore, this is why discussions like this for me I feel is so important because we can change the way media is going to perceive us but we have to take an active role in how we do that which is why I call my podcast let's just do this instead of talking about it very well said thank you now you, you mentioned your business and we know that you are a, sex, a successful practitioner you've got a number of practitioners working with you you have staff as well and you've had to incorporate public and media relations uh, in your own business. Can you give us a couple of examples of how you've done that? Absolutely. So you know, when I opened the doors to my clinic 27 years ago, it was a very different climate even than it is today when it comes to massage therapy. It wasn't something that was um, widely accepted. There weren't a lot of doctor referrals. And so I made a conscious decision when I opened the doors with a vision to have an integrative health clinic down the road. I called it Wallace and Associates. And you know, Don, we've talked about this and I kind of laugh in, in, in thinking back. I called it Wallace and Associates for two reasons. I, one, because I wanted it to sound ultra professional, almost like a law firm. And, and in fact, I had many people say to me, it sounds like a law office. That's exactly the perception I wanted to, to give, that we were a professional organization. Secondly, I had a vision, Associates. It was just me at the time. But once again, public perception. When we're talking about building public relations, the perception that someone has, I had a goal. So I called it Wallace and Associates. 27 years later, when we now have eight massage therapists and two naturopaths and a dietitian and a podorthist and a counselor, and I can go a chiropractor and I can go on and on and on, it's now morphed into Wallace for Wellness. How did I do that? Well, with a lot of hard work and creativity. And, and you know, I want to stress for the new therapist or the veteran therapist, if you unleash some passion, you roll up your sleeves and you get creative, you can do a lot without a lot of money. So here's a, a few things that I did. And I've tried to give sort of three examples that would show you how you can connect with different aspects of what we just talked about. So the, the everyday person, the, the patient that, or client that may be coming to your clinic, the physician that may be referring or other healthcare professional, and then the other local businesses that you may want to be linking arms with or potentially being a partner with if you're doing something like in-chair massage inside a workplace. So one of the things I did right out of the gates was how was I going to market my clinic in an interesting way that was going to set myself apart and build rapport with physicians. 
so I didn't have a lot of money. And so I brought our team together and there was like a, a small number of us. And I had a banana bread baking day at my house one night. And then we wrapped these banana loaves and I created a, a wonderful marketing letter that in the marketing letter to the doctor, it talked about who we were, what our vision was, how we could help their patients. And then I also had a call to action. And the call to action was say, asking the doctor or, or inviting rather the doctor to come for a complimentary treatment inside Wallace for Wellness so that they could see firsthand what we were able to do so we could build trust with them so they would refer to us. And then we put a referral pad in with that. And then we pounded the pavement and went out to every single doctor's office we could think of. Because here's the reality. A mass mail out costs money. They often end up being thrown into the garbage because the gatekeeper, which might be the receptionist at a doctor's office, isn't interested in, in what is inside. But when you come bearing food, as well as a smile on your face, you're building, talk about public relations, you're building a connection. Well, it got to the point where we'd have doctors calling us and saying, Margaret, we're out of banana loaf and referral pads. When can, we, when can we get more? So that was a campaign we did for many years. So that took care of sort of doctors side of things. Then we looked at the community. So how can we reach more people without spending a lot of money? Well, I got to tell you, Don, and to this day, 27 years later, we are constantly looking for opportunities to be out in the community whether it be at a special event that the community is holding. We did a tremendous amount of charitable um, events where we could be on site, maybe doing insure massage, maybe just being there to help educate on the importance and the role that massage therapy can play in this integrative health model. We did a, a, something called the Mums Night Out, which I loved bringing mamas out on a Friday night. We popped up sort of a wellness clinic in the corner where mums could have a massage, talk to the naturopath, have some reflux so not only were we building rapport with potential future clients, but there were all kinds of other businesses there too that were seeing the buzz in the corner that we were creating because we were doing something unique, engaging, and 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 face-to-face um, -face with people that really built credibility and confidence in our brand. So brand awareness was, was another sort of benefit. And then lastly, I really believe in, in legacy and having something be passed on and earned media. So earned media is when you don't actually have to pay for it. So when you do something very cool that a journalist wants to cover because it's a good story. And um, I come up with something called the wow factor, spreading random acts of wellness. And it had a couple arms to it. The main purpose was my passion to educate the public on, on what massage therapy can do and, and, and not just massage therapy, but the role, because I own an integrative clinic, that massage therapists can play in working hand in hand with all kinds of healthcare professionals. So we had that education piece, but then I also wanted to have the ongoing pass it on mentality. In other words, having people market for you and, and, and have your public relations happen through other people. So we had created wow bracelets that we had designed by a Canadian designer. And my love for charity, we were able to actually have people buy wow bracelets um, which we donated that money to charity and they could nominate someone to be wowed. And what does that mean for them to have a wellness makeover? It might be a cancer patient that we go to their home and our team comes in and gives them an afternoon of wellness free of charge because they deserve it. Or what I'm about to share with you, we did a wow factor event on Black Friday where we convinced the Bramalee City Centre that we wanted to bring our whole team of integrative health professionals to pop up an integrative health clinic 
right in the center of the mall on Black Friday Crazy. And what we did, yeah, wow, it, it, was a, it got the attention, not just of the people in the mall. It provided us an unbelievable opportunity to educate and have experiential learning. All these people were interacting. They were getting their first massage. They were talking to the dietitian. But it also earned us media, and we were able to leverage social media to spread the word about what we were doing, which didn't just help our brand, but helped our profession. None of that costs money. It costs time, effort, and creativity. So that's just a few things that I have done with my clinic and continue to think about how can we do things differently to improve uh, media relations as well as public relations and marketing for our profession. That's awesome, Margaret. I mean, talking about those po positive experiences with the media, I think, is very important um, to kind of reiterate during this conversation. So you mentioned earned media is a chance to speak with the media. Um, are there other opportunities of when I should be, if I were an RMT, um, of when I should be prepared to speak with the media? Um, I assume there are some instances when it's better not to comment on um, certain things, which I think would tend to be more negative? Uh, you know what, a great question, and you're absolutely right. You know, depending on what your focus is, I think you can always find ways to talk to the media, whether it's your local newspaper. Um, there's now, of course, with our beautiful thing called the internet, there are so many opportunities online with local publications that you can offer up to do an interview or a, a vlog or a podcast or whatever the opportunity may, it may be. But you're absolutely right. You know, and this feeds into what you talked about earlier, and I know we're, we're going to get into it a little bit more uh, later, about negative press about massage therapy. I will candidly and boldly say that one of the, my biggest pet peeves, and you have to remember, I've been doing this for 27 years. So when I first graduated, and Don, you were with me, on our diploma, and I'd done my undergrad in, at, uh, in kinesiology at Waterloo, it, it said masseuse on my, on my diploma. I didn't even want to hang it initially. Now, we've come a long way, and, and I'm proud of our profession, you know, because of that. But there were people then that were so obsessed with, for example, massage parlors. And there was a lot of media about negative, you know, massage parlors. There are times, and you said it best, where you shouldn't even comment, and here's why. One, what does that have to do with us? A massage parlor has nothing to do with me as a regulated healthcare professional who is busy trying to do the work to connect with healthcare professionals, to raise the profile of our profession. It's a waste of my time to be looking at um, spending energy to fight something that doesn't belong to us. Secondly, if there's a really negative story, we can certainly bring education to that story and clarify why it it has nothing to do with massage therapy, but by it's a slippery slope. And if you're not, if you don't have good media training, and I certainly do, because I've been a media spokesperson for many big brands and have had extensive media training, it's easy through our passion to get pulled into a negative conversation with a well-seasoned journalist who has a different agenda than we do, and all of a sudden you're defending massage therapy. Your intent to defend massage therapy starts to make you look like um, you, you know you're part of this sexualization of our, our of our profession, which in my opinion doesn't exist if it's being done properly. Right. So and I think, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's, you're going to get a visceral reaction, right? I mean, your first instinct is to defend your profession. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like you mentioned, if you're with a, you know, a even journalist and um, you could, you know, get angry and say the wrong thing. And 
I think that's a very good point to make that sometimes it's better to just kind of carry on as you were and continue to advocate for the profession in different ways. Yeah, and I think, you know, especially now with with the internet and the, which is has, you know, great opportunity for us to flood the you know, flood the masses with good quality evidence-informed information about what we do. I don't think we should run scared and not address things when when there's a a reason to, but it's all about the way in which we address that. And I think, you know, unfortunately, healthcare professionals, not just massage therapists, I I I do media training for all kinds. I mean, whether it be a doctor or a nurse or they're not trained in in media relations. So yes, you're right. We're passionate about what we do for a living. We make a difference. So yes, we get that visceral response. Thank you for mentioning that. It's so it's so real. You're so tuned in to to what it raises in in us because we care about people. But without the proper training, we can do ourselves a disservice. But I also want to give people nuggets of information so they can feel more confident to speak up sometimes when they should, and stop it in its tracks. And then what I like to call bridge to what we want to talk about. That's a, a great media training technique, bridging, <laughs> uh, so that you can get to the message that we want them to hear. Because sometimes going silent just gives the voice of, a, of, of the group that's you know, giving us bad press that much louder. Um, it gives them a louder voice than if we do speak up. So there's a fine line there. But what a great question. Yeah, it, Margaret, I'd like to just build on Janin's question. I mean, it, this has been a, a thorn in the side of massage therapists for a long period of time. These negative associations in the media with insurance fraud or the sex trade or professional misconduct. So can you give us a few practical tips? If I'm working in my practice and a client or patient comes to me and says, hey, I saw this in the news, I read about that in the news, can you give me some practical tips and uh, tips for our listeners today what can they do when they're faced by their patients or clients with this media coverage? How should they respond? Okay, so that's a great question. And I think it starts with us having to do the work. And what do I mean by that? You need to know your key messages. You need to know what um, you, not just what you believe in as a clinician, but what is our profession about? And what are the messages that we should be sharing? Do you know the research and the evidence-informed information that you can be sharing? You need to know your key messages inside out, backwards, upside down, because when you become so clear on the value that you have as a clinician, the role that you play as a massage therapist in healthcare, when those key messages are there, then when that visceral response happens, you immediately have some key messages that you want to deliver to diffuse that. And how do we do, so once you know the key messages, we have things which is called bridging. That's a little tip um, that, you, that you learn when you're, when you're in the media and, and maybe you're having a, a difficult conversation. I've been a media spokesperson sometimes and, it's, and there's, there's people that want to get you off your agenda and they may... Yeah. They may come, you think they're coming with one agenda, and then all of a sudden, their agenda rears its head. When you're ill-prepared, don't know your messages, it can, it can turn an interview that you thought was going to be great into a nightmare, not just for you, but for a profession. When bridging, you can say, you can validate what they said, or you can at least acknowledge that you heard it. But you don't have to go down the rabbit hole and talk about it if you truly believe that it's incorrect. So, for example, if they were to say something about, you know, uh, sexualization of our of our profession, which makes, you know, is one of my biggest pet peeves. I, I don't have that issue in my clinic because of the way in which we project ourselves. It's just not, we don't allow it to happen. But if it comes up in conversation, I would say, well, you know, I'm, 
I, I hear what you're saying, and it's unfortunate um, that that still exists out there. And then the bridging statement that I would use. But what I'm here today to tell you, or what I'd love to educate you on today is, then you go right to your key message. This can work when you're on live TV. This can work when you're just face-to-face -face with a client. It shows that you um, acknowledged, yeah, what they're saying, but that it, that really isn't what we're talking about. This is why you're here and, and what I'm going to, to do for you. And if they ask that question two or three times and you keep and stick, and there's another media tip, Stay with your key message. Um, Janet may correct me if I'm wrong, but I know many journalists and this is a technique they use and it, and it works because human nature, when we have the same question asked to us, even if it's done in a slightly different way, when we're sitting there and listening to that and you've asked me the same question three times, I start to change my answer. Right. Because, because I feel uncomfortable, like, oh, didn't I just answer that? Oh, and then that's how, and, I, and I'm not saying, listen, I love journalists. They're my, uh, really good friends of mine because they help to get my message out. But if you're not prepared and don't know your key message, yeah. and sit with the silence and don't go down the rabbit hole and br use those bridging statements so that you can get back to the reason why you're there and what, and what your agenda is, not what the agenda might be of the uh, person who's interviewing you or challenging you. Yeah, the focusing on the positive versus the negative. Yep, 100%. And not just focusing on positive, like, oh, but it's so nice to be a massage therapist. You need to do your work and know what, you know, we've got now, we've got access to research that's been done. We've got access to all kinds of great information with our association and that we can pull from. But if a therapist hasn't done their work and they're not prepared and they don't have that, or I'm 27 years in and I'm still trying to learn and read every day and be up to speed with what's new, in terms of research or or what what's new in terms of access that we might be able to provide to our clients if you don't have that then all of a sudden you know that an interview like that could go really bad because it, you don't have a strong response mm -hmm. so I just have a question um, I, I mean as a clinic owner what should you be coaching your staff in any way on anything or you know say if you happen to get an email from um, a newspaper, you know, be sure to forward it to me first. Are you kind of like the, the stakeholder of all of that as a clinic owner? What a great question. So, you know, I think as a clinic owner, and not everyone I understand, and I wasn't there either. I wasn't the clinic owner that had all this media experience. I had to learn this. I didn't go to radio and television broadcast school, but I learned, leaned in to the vulnerability and I learned and I failed and I and, and then, of course, I ended up taking media training. So there are going to be a lot of clinic owners that don't have the resources and the understanding. So therefore, they may not feel comfortable being the gatekeeper. But, but what I do suggest is that when you do have those conversations, I absolutely, in my clinic, not only do I try to coach, but I try to empower my team members um, to help them. Not all of them are going to feel comfortable or, or want to run the other way when they think about a camera. I've turned so many therapists around that they now have been bit by the media bug because the fear comes from just not knowing. But when you slowly help them to empower them. So, yes, because I have the knowledge, I often take the lead. But I don't just do it. as I'm a team member. So I want the rest of my team to be equally uh, as capable of being able to you know, not only promote themselves and our clinic, but to promote our session in a, in a professional, 
uh, way that's going to build credibility for all of us. So I think I encourage clinic owners to have those conversations with and find out maybe the clinic owner isn't the one that's that's interested in media work, but there might be a dynamite RMT that works with them that says, I really love that idea and I think I could be good at it. And then you reach out to get the help you need to foster that interest in that one therapist. But I think you're right. It has to be a team effort and there needs to be conversations about that, which I don't think happens a lot. Great point. I would agree with that. Um, so now something that I've kind of heard through my talks with um, some RMTs across the country, um, there's this thought that, I mean, you mentioned with your clinic, you know, outwardly you project a very um, professional environment. Um, I've, I've spoken to some clinic owners out in Manitoba and Alberta that, you know, they're in um, office buildings, um, but they still do have members of the public come in and, you know, um, looking for quote unquote happy ending, blah, blah, blah. We know how it goes. Um, we hear about this all the time. Um, in your opinion, do you believe sexual massage will always be entwined with this profession or is it I mean because I've heard that you know some people that word massage is just for some reason entwined in the consensus of some people um, to be in, like entwined with the profession or is it just a matter of time before this incorrect association diminishes so I think there are two parts to this and what I would first say is that you know, we live in a touch-phobic society, and, and I truly believe that it's gotten worse over the years of my career. Um, you know, there's, but, but it's human nature and a need to connect. Sexualized touching is very different than what we do. And so, uh, you know, it doesn't make me, I'm not surprised that there's still this, that some people would think, you know, massage is being touched and then and sexualizing it. But here's where the difference lies. As a profession and as each massage therapist, we must act in a way so that it, 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 we very clearly and professionally delineate that that is, that is nothing to do with us. And, there, and over time, we're never going to get rid of, you know, a, a sex trade. That will always exist. But what does that have to do with massage therapy? It's like comparing apples to oranges. It has nothing to do with us. But the role right. that we play, and do I believe this can change? Yes, but it's not going to change without action and deliberate, deliberate um, thoughts in being able to actually collectively as a group and individual therapists make sure that the way we respond to those types of things separates it. So as I mentioned at the beginning, massage parlors. I, I had, when I first started, a therapist that was obsessed with wanting to shut massage parlors down. And, and he was sucking my time, wanting me to be involved with helping to shut these down. I was too busy building a practice and credibility so that I can now have 80% doctor referral in my clinic. I didn't have time to be worried about something that didn't have anything to do with me. He couldn't see that. And he was so obsessed. And did he have a successful career? Sadly, no, he didn't. He got out of the profession because he was, he was spending too much of his time and energy on something that didn't matter. So in response to your question, if we make strides to candidly and always have the right professional attitude, and we have to look the, the, look the part, walk the part, and talk the part. And this is sometimes where I get frustrated when I see 
um, I recognize we have a physical profession and you have to dress comfortably, but we need to dress professionally. We need to send the message out that is very clear without even having the discussion. When you walk into my clinic, it is clear that you're coming to a warm, welcoming, but in professional environment where there's not going to be a, a, a question that there's, there's, you know, anything else going on there. So that question is not going to come or expectation. They're not going to ask a therapist for something other than therapeutic massage. So over time, I think we can change it. But here's my concern, Janet, without actually making doing the actions necessary um, I think we will constantly have this struggle but I'm so willing to be the person and that's why I'm on this podcast to help lead the charge so that we will see changes um, and this and the sex trade will never go away so that will always be there but we won't have that in the same sentence but the power of touch what if we change the paradigm of thinking of Canadians or people across the world of how powerful touch is yeah in a non-sexual way, then that to me are the messages that we need to be sharing. And we do that through evidence-based informed medicine. Very good point. Great answers, great answers. Margaret, we've been talking a lot about what RMTs can do uh, on the front line at their practices in terms of offsetting some of this negative public and media uh, associations. But would you have any uh, information or uh, suggestions at all for the RMT associations across Canada in terms of how we could improve our public and media relations at a national level? You know, I think that's, that's an awesome question. And I think that it's critical to have our associations involved. I mean, we can't educate the masses without linking arms. And that I'm going to give a shout out once again to how important it is to become a member of your, your professional association. Strength in numbers. We, you can't complain about things that are going on in a profession when we don't have a collective reach through, through the power of numbers. So first of all, be part of your association. Secondly, alliance all those associations to maybe come together. I would love to see this and I would love to head something like this up where we help to train um, media training and public relations training for healthcare professionals, um, not just massage therapists, but healthcare professionals. Because let's, let's, wouldn't it be cool if we have massage therapists doing media training and we're inviting other healthcare professionals who also need help, media training because that wasn't part of their, their training. And nowadays, we are thrown into media more as healthcare professionals because of the internet. And just because we have that option doesn't mean we're good at it. So I think the associations can play an amazing role in helping to provide the education and platforms. That's why I, I'm thrilled with, you know, Massage Therapy Canada stepping up to the plate here and doing a podcast like this. These are the tools that will help educate the masses and help bring us together with in a way that's going to be effective moving forward rather than everybody trying to do it on their own making mistakes and potentially fueling the issues that we're facing um, in our profession. Margaret, you've been very generous with your time today and have provided us with a lot of great information. We've got a few moments left and we want to give it all to you. Can you give us any final messages you'd like to share with our listeners or can you tell massage therapists where they can get public and media relations training? Well, thanks, Don. Yeah, I um, and by the way, I'd love to come back. I'm always here to help move our profession forward. I, I believe we're better together and we need to put the massage therapy profession at the center of the integrative health model. And what I want all of our 
listeners to know is that I'm, I'm lobbying the government. I'm, I'm meeting with the Minister of Health and the local level of government and provincial level of government to look and change the way we look at healthcare from a pill for an ill to a more preventative approach, which is exactly the, the value proposition that massage therapists have. We have such an amazing opportunity to be able to help people prevent illness and to live well until they don't. And we need public relations and media to do that. So I, you know, I, I want to empower people to reach out, whether it be to me. Um, I do have a media training program that I'm happy to, to offer. I, I've got a workshop that I've done. For, in fact, I've done it for the Naturopathic Association. I, I've done it for other uh, organizations. Um, a short workshop that gives you some of the basics, which I think is valuable. But then I, I would love also, if the interest is there, to do a more extensive hands-on experiential workshop with my media team, where once you learn, for example, how to craft a key message, what is a soundbite, how to create a soundbite, what's bridging, what are some of the other tips, um, how to sit with the silence and be okay with that, and then actually put that into experience. So have the camera there, have the mics there, and then after you've learned, actually put allow these therapists to try it out in a safe, encouraging, and learning environment, I'm ready to do that. And if the interest is there, I'm happy to do that. And more importantly, if we can link in our professional associations and maybe even let the government know that this is what we're doing because we are committed as massage therapists to increase not only education, but the services that we offer in a professional manner so we can improve the health of Canadians, I'm all for it. So I just want to thank both of you and Massage Therapy Canada for, for doing this. I'm so honoured to be a guest and I, I would love to be an integral part of what you do moving forward as, as I truly believe that we're better together. And as I said on my podcast, let's just do this. It, it's, I'm tired of talking about this. We need to put words into action. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Margaret, for joining us today. Um, that's all of the time we have today. Um, I will invite all RMTs across the country to keep this conversation going. Leave a comment on this podcast page or share and comment via one of our social media channels. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. All you need to do is search Massage Therapy Canada. As well, ensure you're signed up for our once-weekly e-newsletter so you're always informed when we drop a new podcast episode. Uh, you can visit massagetherapycanada.com slash subscribe. On the webpage below, you will also note that we have compiled a list of clickable resources and references about what we have discussed today. So thanks again, Margaret and Dawn, for joining us. Thank you, Janet. Thank you. On the Table current and critical information for massage therapists in practice, a podcast presented by Massage Therapy Canada.